The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. One of the things I enjoy about this podcast is that I can explore ideas that happen to be on my mind, even if they are not related to anything in the Parsha or in any of the shirim I'm giving. And what has been on my mind lately? <laughs> Open AI. <laughs> the uh, artificial intelligence uh, program software, uh, I don't know what to call it exactly, uh, and specifically uh, uh, GPT-3, which is the current version, uh, from what I understand. So I'll include the link in the show notes, but this is a, a fun and scary tool that is the most advanced AI that I've seen. And you could basically have a conversation with it. You know, you could basically ask it questions and it'll give you answers. In some cases, then the answers are extremely impressive. In other cases, the, they are comically, false or or ridiculous but uh it's been quite an interesting journey to experiment with this thing and to think about the implications and i wanted to since i only really started playing with this thing a couple days ago i wanted to record my initial thoughts and then just see where this goes in terms of of stoicism and judaism so i thought it'd be appropriate uh also to uh to give you an idea about what this is like to open up with with uh, a conversation with uh, OpenAI. So I began by asking OpenAI, what did Marcus Aurelius believe about the soul? The response I got was, Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic philosopher, and as such, he believed that the soul was a rational and divine essence that is inherent in all human beings. He believed that the soul was immortal and that it was the source of a person's moral character. Aurelius believed that the soul was the guiding force behind a person's actions and that it could be cultivated and nurtured in order to live a virtuous and fulfilling life. He also believed that the soul was connected to the universe as a whole and that it was capable of attaining wisdom and understanding through contemplation and self-reflection. So then I followed that up by asking, did he believe that the soul was physical or non-physical? Because this is really one of the one of the essential one of the reasons I'm interested in this. I guess I'm not going to get into it right now. One of the reasons I'm interested in this this uh, AI thing. Uh, is because it does get down to the questions of what we mean by thinking, what we mean by the soul, what uh, what aspects of thinking are material, what aspects are immaterial, non-physical. So I asked, did he believe that the soul was physical or non-physical? The answer that OpenAI gave me is Aurelius, as a Stoic philosopher, likely believed that the soul was a non-physical entity. Stoicism as a philosophical tradition emphasizes the concept of the soul as a rational and divine essence that is separate from the physical body. In Stoicism, the soul is seen as the source of a person's moral character and their ability to reason, and it is believed to be immortal and unchanging. Therefore, it is likely that Aurelius believed that the soul was a non-physical entity that existed independently of the physical body. Okay, and the last question I asked it was, would Marcus Aurelius believe in the concept of the soul taught by Judaism? Now, whenever you ask AI a question about what would a certain thinker say, they always give an excuse, it'll give an excuse uh, or a, a, a disclaimer that it's impossible to know what he would actually say. 
So after the disclaimer, uh, it responded by saying, it is possible that Aurelius may have found some common ground with the Jewish concept of the soul, as both traditions place a strong emphasis on the importance of the soul as a source of a person's moral character and their ability to reason. Additionally, both Stoicism and Judaism view the soul as being immortal and as having a profound connection to the universe as a whole. It is also worth noting that Aurelius was known to have a deep interest in the philosophy and religion of other cultures, so it is possible that he may have been open to the idea of the soul as taught in Judaism. Okay, so that's what AI said. Let's actually look at the actual sources in Marcus Aurelius and Judaism and see how it lines up. So I don't want to go into a whole discourse on what Stoicism uh, and Judaism believe about the soul. I just want to give you a little sampling uh, so that I can then reflect upon that. So Marcus Aurelius in Meditations Book 2, Chapter 2 says, This, whatever it is that I am, is flesh and vital spirit and governing self. Okay, so there's a three, three parts. He's saying flesh, vital spirit, and governing self. Disdain the flesh blood and bones and network, a twisted skine of nerves, veins, and arteries. Consider also what the vital spirit is, a current of air, not even continuously the same, but every hour being expelled and sucked in again. There is then a third part, the governing self. Put away your books and be distracted no longer. They are not your portion. Okay, so he's recognizing that the both the so the flesh is physical, clearly. The vital spirit, which means the thing that gives you biological life, is also physical in that it's air. But then there's the governing self, which is not physical. Okay, And he elaborates on this later on in the chapter, in the book, in chapter 17. He says, of man's life, his time is a point, his, his existence is a flux, his sensation clouded, his body's entire composition corruptible, his vital spirit an eddy of breath, his fortune hard to predict, his fame uncertain. Briefly, all the things of the body, a river. All the things of the spirit, dream and delirium. His life, a warfare and a sojourn in a strange land. His afterfame, oblivion. What then can be his escort through life? One thing and one thing only, philosophy. And this is to keep the spirit within him unwronged and unscathed, master of pains and pleasures, doing nothing at random, nothing falsely and with pretense, needing no other to do aught or to leave aught undone, and moreover, accepting what befalls it, that is what is assigned to it as coming from that other world from which it itself came. So that is uh, a little bit more explicit here that, that the spirit is non-physical and that the role of the spirit is to accept whatever, befall, whatever befalls it and to live in harmony with nature and, uh, and as being dictated by the world, by essentially by God's world uh, from whence the spirit came. Okay, one more, one more reading. Again, we're not going into this in depth here. Uh, he says in book three, chapter 16, body, vital spirit, mind. Again, that same uh, threefold division. To the body belongs sense perceptions. To the vital spirit, impulses. To the mind, principles. To be impressed by images. Now, he's using impressed not here as like, oh, I'm impressed by your, uh, by your accomplishments. He means to receive impressions by images belongs also to the beasts of the field. To be pulled by the strings of desire belongs to wild beasts and to men who sin against nature, to a phalaris or to a Nero. To have the mind as guide to what appear to be duties belongs to, also to men who do not believe in God, who betray their own country, who do anything and everything once they have locked their doors. If then all else is common to you with those whom I have mentioned, it remains the peculiar mark of the good man to love and welcome what befalls him and what the thread of fate spins for him, and not to soil the divine element seated within his breast, nor to disquiet it with a mob of imaginations, but to preserve it and to obey it, following God in an orderly manner, uttering no word contrary to truth, doing no act contrary to justice. And if all men disbelieve that he lives simply, modestly, and contentedly, he is not angry with any of them, nor diverted from the road that leads to the goal of his life, at which he must arrive, pure, peaceful, ready to depart without compulsion, perfectly reconciled to his lot. So this builds off of what he said before, that the mind is capable of rising above, you know, mind over matter, rising above the desires and impulses of the body and of the vital spirit. 
and this could be corrupted if you're a, a evil man where you are ruled by your bodily passions. But if you are a good man, you can transcend those bodily passions and live in line with the will of God, uh, which is of uh, w- which your soul, so to speak, resembles in that it's uh, it's not physical and not from the physical world. Okay. All right, so that's that's a brief sketch of Stoicism's or of Marcus Aurelius's view of the soul. Now let's switch to Judaism. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to go into a whole discourse on what Judaism's view of the soul is, but whenever I have to uh, present what Judaism's view of the soul is, uh, then I I prefer to read from the Sforno because Sforno does such a good job. I, and I know there's differences between different views of the soul, but there's a common core that everyone agrees with that that the soul is the part of you that can uh, or that I should say all the Rishonim agree with that the medieval authorities that the soul is the part of you that thinks and that could seek knowledge for its own sake but I want to read to you uh, Sforno's uh, uh, explanation of this so first actually let's read the the psukim the verses in the Torah in Breshis Aleph Chavav and Chavzain Genesis 1 26 and 27 and God said, Let us make man in our form like our likeness. And he will rule over the uh, fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and the wild animal, the, the, the domesticated animals uh, and over all the earth and over everything that moves upon the earth. And God created the man in his form in the form of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And I should say, I, I said the form of God. Uh, the word used there is Elohim, or uh, if used in the broader sense, Elohim, which is a deliberately uh, ambiguous or multi-use term, a, a homonym, which can mean either God, angels, or judges. Okay, and that's going to be important in the Sforno's explanation. So in the interest of time, because I actually have to leave soon to... to uh, teach my Mishlei class in Yeshiva, I'm going to actually read, I don't usually like doing this, I'm going to read from someone else's English translation of the Sforno, uh, namely the Rabbi Raphael Pelkovitz uh, English translation. Am I going to do this? No, I'm going to, I'm going to, okay, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to read, I'll read in the Sforno in, in, in uh, my own uh, translation, never mind, <laughs> scratch that. Okay, so, Bitsalmenu, in our, okay, so first of all, he says, Vimer Elohim Naaseh, so let us make. So what is the us? That's the obvious question here. So he says, God endowed the heavenly retinue, the heavenly uh, host, the angels, uh, with um, sorry, he, with a uh, power to bestow the tselem, to bestow the form of God, or the whatever the, what we're gonna whatever he's gonna define into the the medium that had been prepared for it. Okay. Now, what is that med- medium? He says, Adam. So, Naase Adam Now, we usually translate this as, let us make man in our form. But he's saying, let us make uh, that Adam. He says, Adam min mimine nefeshchaya, shiitsarti shishmo Adam. That species of the species of wild animals which I formed, whose name is man. Okay. Kamro vaihi Adam nefeshchaya. Um, Naasehu bitsalmenu. Uh, let us make that creature, man, bitsalmenu in our form. Now, without going too far astray, this is an interesting thing that that uh, Sforno is explaining that basically man took an animal, uh, which was called Adam, uh, that that he had created uh, earlier on the sixth day of creation, and 
he gave the the angels the ability to uh, the capacity to endow that man with Telemelokim. Now, Sworno obviously was way before, uh, or was hundreds of years before Darwin, before evolution, uh, and uh, and and I'm not trying to claim that Sworno somehow anticipated evolution. I'm just saying that the way he read the 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 text of the Torah is that God took a brute create a creature and then allowed uh, and then enabled it to develop. Uh, to develop intellect. Okay, so it happens to harmonize very well with evolution, even though he's not exactly like anticipating the entire theory. Okay, now here comes the key part. Let us make man in our form. So what does it mean to be in the form of God? Obviously, God doesn't have a physical form. An essence which is eternal and rational. And through this statement, God opened uh, an opportunity or a path in his Torah for man to acquire knowledge of, of uh, forms that are separate from matter through the knowledge of our souls. Okay, uh, that's a separate thing. Okay, so the essence, what we're getting here is Tzalmenu, Tzalmelukim is an essence that is eternal and rational. And in Kid Musenu, like our likeness, in Hamasios, in regards to actions, that man resembles somewhat the heavenly retinue, angels, in the sense that man acts with knowledge and recognition. Okay, so angels are pure intellects, and uh, and they act with knowledge and recognition, and man resembles them because he also can act with intellect and recognition. he built However, their actions, the actions of the angels, are not uh, free. They're not through free will, because they're pure intellects. And in that sense, man is not similar to them. Okay, so that's so man is partially similar to the angels and partially not similar in the sense that he acts with knowledge, dissimilar in the fact that man acts with free will. And in a certain sense, man is similar to God, blessed is he, um, in that, um, uh, oh, I just lost my place, oh yeah, who acts with free will, okay? However, God's free will is always for good, and man's free will is not always for good. So therefore, God's choice, God's free will, is on a higher level than man's. And that's why it says, like our likeness, which means like our likeness, not in our likeness in truth. Okay, so let me summarize this for a second. So the Torah describes man, man's essence as being according to Sorno, the Tselem Elohim or Elohim is a, a, a rational, eternal essence. Okay, that's the soul. And kid musenu, like our likeness, means that man has free will, which is somewhat similar to the, uh, sorry, so man's actions are are somewhat similar to the angels in that he acts with knowledge and recognition, but dissimilar in that man acts with free will, whereas angels don't. And then um, he says that man's uh, actions are somewhat similar to God because God acts with free will, but man's free will is a result of the fact that he has an immaterial intellect and a physical body and desires, whereas, and therefore man can choose uh, evil, whereas God can only choose good. Okay, one more. Okay, you'll see where I'm going with this in a little while. Okay, I, I know this kind of turned into a sheer on the soul. Okay, but that's not where I'm going, surprisingly. So then on Pasuk 27, he says, Betel Melukim. He says, Hine milas Elohim al tzad hahidamus te'amer al kol etzem sichli befoal shalim nivdal mechomer uvezehu nitzchi behechreach. So he says the word Elohim is used 
by way of comparison or analogy on anything which is an essence which is rational and actual, complete, separate from matter, and in this sense, it will be eternal of necessity. That's why we use the term Elohim about God and Elohim about angels, because they are uh, intellects which are separate from matter that are eternal. And we also call judges Elohim. Why? Based on the 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 rational element which is proper to them. Amnam, however, Okay, this is getting to a more important part here uh, for our purposes. The human intellect, even though the action of its cognition is without any material vessel, and it can extend to things that are not sensory. In other words, the, the, the intellect, I mean, obviously we have a brain and the brain is physical, but the intellect is not physical and it can relate to non-physical concepts. Okay, as Mortimer J. Adler says, uh, when he wants to capture the distinction between the the brain and the and the the intellect, he says, "We we we can't think without our brain, but we don't think with it either." Meaning that it, the brain is a necessary but not sufficient cause for thinking. Thinking is really done through the immaterial intellect, uh, and the organ of the brain plays some role, but it's not. That's not what's doing the thinking. Okay, Sworn would agree with that. So he says. Um, Okay, Valkatas Asidos, and the, the mind can also relate to certain things in the future. That's a reference to prophecy. And the intellect does not become weakened through extensive use of its cognition. Nor does it become weak when the body gets old. But it gets stronger. And from all of this, it is clear that the intellect is not physical without a doubt. So in other words, he's saying physical things wear out with use. And... In your body, the older you get, then the weaker your uh, your physical capacities get. But the intellect does not wear out with use. And the older you get, then the stronger it gets. Again, obviously, that's uh, not including brain uh, diseases, uh, which can impair your ability to use your intellect. Um, so he's saying that, that that's an indication that the intellect is not physical. All right. So then he says, uh, okay, fine. Uh, da, 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 yeah, yeah. From all of this, it's clear that the intellect is is without a doubt non-physical. Because the opposite of these things happen to bodily faculties which are physical. But it's proper for you to understand that bef- that when that before. Sorry, when the intellect is not perfected in man, you don't call it Elohim. It's called the form or image of, of Elohim, Bilvad, alone. Until it acquires perfection, especially with the wisdom through which it attains, it acquires love of God and fear of God. Then it will be an essence that is intellectual, actual, perfect and separate from matter. And then that will necessitate that it be eternal after the body. Since it is within man's choice to acquire this perfection through striving to contemplate the wisdom which was mentioned, then if man 
it's clear then that if man uh, withholds himself from this involvement, then his rational faculty will remain in a state of potentiality. Mishulal mikol shleimus befall, absent or void of all actual perfection. Kamoshi haya like it was in the beginning. Viale batohu viovad, and then it will just go into nothingness and be destroyed. Kamro, as it says in Tehillim 49, uh, 21, Adam nimshal nidmu. Man uh, in his glory, who doesn't understand, is compared to the silent animals. All of this God indicated through two words, Okay, so beautiful discourse on the soul from the Sforno. The, uh, the, the essence of this that we get from here is that what it means to be human uh, is, uh, what it was, uh, is to have uh, an intellect which is rational and, and non-physical, separate from matter. Th- that and to be able to act with free choice, which is somewhat similar to God in that it's free and uh, but not similar to God in that it can choose bad, and somewhat similar to the angels in that it can act with knowledge, but not similar to the angels in that um, in that it, the angels are not free. Okay, and to be when you, God created man as a tselem elokim, an image of the divine, because. That's the reference in the state of the potential. But when you actualize this by acquiring chachma, wisdom, and and avas Hashem and yiras Hashem, love of God and fear of God, so then your you actualize the truly unique part of you, and then you could be called Elohim. Uh, and then you could be called. Then your soul could be called a truly Elohim in the same way that that angels are, which is a, a, a rational essence. Okay. Whew. All right. That was a lot longer than I thought. All right. So why am I bringing all this up? Because I think that. It is clear that um, that you know when you're reading both Marcus Aurelius and the Torah and Sforno, uh, Sforno's explanation, you end up having this focus on on the question of what am I? What is the essence of me? You know, I am not my body. I am not the life force within me, and uh, that's what you get when you're reading Marcus Aurelius. And then with Sforno, you see that I am not. I, I am not the animalistic part of me. The real me is the part that, that so to speak, resembles God and the angels, which is the soul. And one of the things I'm finding here that is interesting is when, when as we explore this AI territory, it really is getting to this question of, of what, what aspects of my thinking are coming from my soul and what aspects of thinking really are me. You know, if I can, I mean, that was the, uh, that is the Turing test. Uh, uh, named after Alan Turing, which would be the test to determine whether you've truly created artificial intelligence by um, by whether a person can have a conversation with a machine uh, and a conversation with a human, not knowing what either, uh, not knowing who they're talking to, and and only have a 50-50 chance of guessing uh, which is which. In other words, when the, when talking to an artificial intelligence would be in, indistinguishable from talking to a human being. Uh, that's the Turing test, which I found out this this morning, by the way, uh, was really proposed by Descartes, uh, much, much, obviously much, much earlier than uh, than uh, than Turing did. Uh, but anyway, that's a side point. So, so this is bringing up questions about what aspects of ourselves really are the self. And I think that sometimes a person in dealing with questions like that can be predisposed to reject the implications simply because they don't want to relinquish any personal identity or they don't want to view a part of themselves as uh, or they don't want to take a part of themselves that they see as themselves and realize it's not really essentially part of themselves. Uh, An example of this is the Ramam 
maintains that Olam Haba, that the world to come is not physical. So I think when, when I've taught high school before, I think there are a lot of students who, who believe that when they go to Olam Haba, that it's going to be them with their, you know, either with their body or their emotions, their phys- their personality uh, in, in existence in Olam Haba. And when I tell them that, at least according to the Rambam, your personality is is really from your psyche, which is uh, a physical faculty, which is part of your physicality. And that's not really you. That's not the real you. There's a certain disillusionment or shock that they have that they view their personality as part of themselves. And and it's really not according to uh, uh, according to Judaism. And uh, and I think there's a certain thing that is going on here as well is that we view, let's say, like, you know, you can use AI, you can use this uh, AI chat bot to write poetry and you could use Dolly to make images. And I think a lot of people do view man's creativity and artistic capacity as something that's uniquely human. But we're seeing through this evidently an AI can do things like that and can have, quote unquote, creative thinking that even if it's not the same in nature, it produces the same or more impressive results. And I think that's a certain, it's a letdown for certain people. If they view that as something that's uniquely them, it's like they're realizing that this is not really me uh, or this is not really essentially a part of me. So I think my prediction is what's going to happen. I mean, obviously you can't predict the particulars, but what's going to happen is the more advanced AI gets, then the more it's going to force us to recognize what really is truly human. Like the ability to to write a poem or to answer questions is not necessarily uh, what makes us human. And I think this is actually going to be good for us in the sense that it is going to help us to realize what parts of ourselves truly are human. And there is going to be a certain letdown or pain in in coming to terms with the fact that things that I thought are unique about myself really aren't unique or aren't really uniquely human. But the flip side of that is that you will have a greater appreciation and cherishing of what actually is human. Now, I know that if there's anyone who's a uh, an AI, uh, uh, a, a real AI devotee, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what you call these people, singularity people, do we still call them that? Uh, then you might, the, you know, the, the extreme position will say, oh, well, we're going to find out that there is nothing unique about the human intellect. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and we'll find out that AI can, can completely uh, replicate or simulate or surpass human intellect. I know that's a position that people hold. That's that's obviously not the position that the Torah holds, and so I'm I uh, <laughs> will cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, but for now, I'm uh, I am I'm an Orthodox Jew who believes in Torah, and I am I maintain that there is something unique and immaterial about the human intellect, which no matter how advanced computers get, then you'll not be able to replicate that. So we're, I'm going to stick with that position uh, for the time being. But uh, look, we'll find out. Okay, that is it for today's episode, and I thought it'd be a, a good idea to conclude the episode by having uh, GPT-3 write my sign-off. So here's the sign-off that it wrote for me. Thank you for listening, reading, and watching. Your support means the world to me. If you enjoy my content and would like to support my work, please visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi You can also make a contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund using Venmo at matt-schneeweiss or dash I always forget what it is. Zell or PayPal at matchNewis at gmail.com. Thank you again for your support. Wishing you all the best.